This podcast includes unapologetic logic and reason and may not be suitable for all audiences. In a world full of nonsense, he's been called the voice of uncommon common sense. He sees the abnormal that many find normal. Author and award-winning speaker, he is Chris I'm not really interested. I live in Pennsylvania, so if you don't live in Pennsylvania, I don't know why you'd have any interest. But if you watched it all, this Fetterman-Oz debate last night, I didn't get to watch it last night. I was in bed early. This COVID is killing me. Not literally. I think I'm getting better. Hopefully another day. It's going to basically wash a week, I figure, at this point, and then a week to kind of get back to normal, I would imagine. So it's going to be like a two-week hit of some kind. But anyway, speaking of taking a hit, so Fetterman is running for this Brian Fitzpatrick Senate seat. Brian Fitzpatrick, one of the most noteworthy rhinos on the planet. And so I guess he's retiring, I think. I don't know if he took some – he'll probably get some post in the Biden administration or something like that. Who knows? But anyway – Fetterman, who was the lieutenant governor, uh, is running against Dr. Oz, which it's been quite a circuitous, tumultuous path to get here, which I have strong feelings about, which I guess at this point uh, is sadly just ancient history and no no longer really relevant to the story, right? The fact of the matter is here on November 8th that Fetterman and Oz are going to be the ballot choice here for Senate in Pennsylvania. The more I've gotten to see a little bit of Oz, I don't really know him. I do like what he has to say. Fetterman, you know, he's a real socialist. He really is. I don't think he's trustworthy. He's one of these people with a three-legged dog. I kid you not. You know what I mean when I say that? Like they, they know how to create this victimhood status. And I guess if that was his goal last night was to appear to be the victim I don't even know if he did a good job of that, quite frankly. I'm not the best judge of that. I would imagine there would be some people, oh, look at him, he's so brave. I look at it, I'm thinking, I don't know who decided it was a good idea to put you on a debate stage on live TV. Uh, The guy's a mess, really. He kind of almost seemed childlike. Uh, I really question his health in that regard. Um, you know, is this wise to elect somebody that's in this this kind of health state? <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I suppose there's there's worse choices you could have to make. But you know, uh, for Fetterman, Fetterman was able to cast a voice that really resonated with people, and he's not able to really get out at all. I mean, he, he's just a a, a a bumbling mess, worse than Biden. I kid you not. He looks terrible. The whole hoodie thing, I think it's gotten overdone, to say the least. You know, you're, you're there on a – well, he did have a suit on last night, I should say. But, um, you know, the hoodie thing just uh, – I don't know. It ran its course, I think. He got what he could out of that, This, you know, that he, he connects with the man. And I would guess that he probably does a lot better than, than Oz, who's been in Hollywood or whatever. I don't know. It's a crazy race. It really is. But 
the debate. I thought to myself, so Fetterman, I think, had a, a good shot of beating Oz. I really do. And there, you know, Oz campaign brought a lot of money in, and it's very interesting this whole this whole coming about of this. But Fetterman really, I think, probably had the edge to win in most circles. I wondered to myself for a minute. I wonder if uh, if there's like a curse on Fetterman. It's like his uh, his whole uh, ballot has been uh, cursed. I don't know. What are his chances? Maybe it's a, a spiritual intervention. Uh, anyway, I just want to share a little of that story. What a crazy story. It really is. You should see him. He's in horrible shape. I, I can't believe he's running. I can't believe there's no way to intervene in that. I, I don't know. I really don't know what to say. What's fair? What's reasonable? Uh, Dan sent me this. I thought it was in speaking of the cursed ballot. I've noticed that the wording on ballot initiatives reads like algebraic equa- equations. Example, will the state add negative 10 to your bank account? The propaganda will, wanna, will want to say the state is adding money to your bank account, but adding negative 10 is actually taking 10 out of your bank account. I'm glad you explained that to me, Dan. I don't know if I would have caught that. Uh, but he said you need to decipher the actual meaning. I'm kidding around. I said to Dan, I said... Uh, I, I read that. I thought it's very interesting what you had to say there. I wonder how many people would, would buy into it. We're going to add money. How would you like the, for the state to add some money to your bank account right now? Just give me your phone. How many people would say yes? How hard, If you stood on a street corner <laughs> and you wore a suit and you maybe you had something to look official, yeah, hey, listen, you know, we're with uh, Bank of whatever. I don't want to say a name, you know what I mean? Uh, we're with the whatever bank, <laughs> the whatever bank. And we're going to put some money in your bank account from the state. Would you like us to do that right now? I'm just going to download this little app. You're going to enter enter some of your information. <laughs> How many people would fall for that? I'll bet you'd have people lined up. How much am I going to get? How much would you like? How about if we say minus um, 100, <laughs> just to get started? I wonder how many people would go for it. Do you, do you ever wonder how America became so great? This is also from Dan. He said, uh, but which, by the way, do you ever wonder how America became so great? And um, it is you know, very interesting story. If you look at the the growth, the industrialization, the modernization of the world, it centers around the industrial revolution here in this country with just about every major invention coming out of this country. Phones, TVs, airplanes. Did the train, was the train from here? I don't know about that. Uh, what did Dan say? People from all over the world leave their home countries and come to America and succeed beyond what they could do in their native countries. Was it uh, the freedoms allowed here or used to have? Is it the diversity of different countries of origin? I'm not talking about woke diversities, uh, the left pedals. Woke diversities are taking the worst from every group. American diversities are taking the best of each group. German engineering for one. An Eskimo didn't invent a Swiss watch, but if you were in the polar region, the skills of the Eskimo would save your life. 
The difference in national diversity allows the best to be displayed. Woke diversity forces the, the worst of the worst to be imposed upon everyone. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting the whole uh, path this country got to this point anyway. And the huge shift, really, over the last 20, 30 years, I guess, where now it seems like not a lot of inventions coming out of anywhere. You could, you could do a whole separate podcast on that. It's like technology, uh, mechanicalization, saturation. And it's not that there's nowhere to go, right? They're talking about uh, nano uh, uh Robots, you know what I'm talking about? This is crazy stuff. Like they can go into you, you know, be injected into you and, and go around in your, your bloodstream and collect and report data for medical purpose. Fascinating, really. Um, obviously, you know, full on robots that can do human work. Uh, there's another whole thing that I think is a, is a great way to go, too, and they're the, basically robotic skeletons for humans. You know, so say you work in an Amazon warehouse and you're lifting heavy things. You step into this suit all charged up and, you know, it makes you able, you know, capable of doing things that you uh, couldn't do or make it a lot easier for you to do it. Fascinating. But by and large, you know, what more do you expect to see? I mean, I don't know about you. We've already got more appliances in our house than I ever dreamt we'd have. We've got an air fryer. We've got a double oven in the house. Okay. Just put this in context. We have a double oven, a beautiful five-burner stove, and we also have a, 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 I guess you'd call it a toaster oven, but this is quite the toaster oven. You can bake and broil in it. So a third oven. We've got a double induction cooktop uh, and an air fryer. So, <laughs> and we prefer to grill out most of the time. <laughs> Interesting, right? But things have really gotten to saturation. Uh, my iPhone, you know, uh, I know that the, the I'm thinking about going to the Galaxy, by the way. I'm just kind of sick of iPhone. I'm sick of the cost. I got this new flip Galaxy I was thinking about checking out. I'm going over to like an Android system. I don't really like being tied to Google, I guess, but their stuff works really well. All the Google platform stuff. Just uh, it works as seamlessly, I think, as uh, iPhone, if not better. If Apple, then better. And Apple, just too much goofy stuff, like with the goofy photo format and stuff like that. I don't know. But, you know, here's another thing. So I, I saw this with computers. You know, there's a big, big run-up in computers. You know, Dell became big. And I guess some of these, you know, there still is a, a business there. But it isn't what it was. You know, computers are lasting a lot longer. Um, I just made this move here. A computer, I'm guessing, three to four years old and still very much uh, you know, a very productive computer. But anyway, you see this in lots of things, whether it's appliances or, you know, with the autom- automobile industry, the electric car thing, I guess trying to create a, like a, a separate market for that. But that seems to me kind of doomed to backfire because theoretically those cars should last a lot longer. So the market is just going to just gradually get smaller and smaller. Weird, right? It's a whole big impact on our economics that nobody's really talking about. That we've basically reached, at least in this country, 
peak modernization. It doesn't mean that there's no room left to grow. It doesn't mean that there aren't unmet needs, et cetera, et cetera. It just means that in general terms of access, people have everything they need, even in poor neighborhoods, for the most part. That's not completely true. There are areas without internet. Do you realize that? Isn't that kind of strange? I guess you, at that point you have to rely on like your Verizon for like a wireless or something like that. But they just don't feel that there's enough paying customers there to make it worthwhile to have the, the wireless technology there. Incredible, right? So I don't know. It's, it is a fascinating story. Where does the country go from here? You know, the, the fact of the matter is this, that the times are changing. You know, early in the country's formation, there's a lot of things going on that, that made it kind of uh, easy to allow the situation to develop that did. There was no debts, largely, some from the Revolutionary War, but nothing compared to what we see today. And uh, so you had no debt, and you had lots of land and natural resources to attract people from places like Europe. There's a little congested, give people a whole new level of opportunity. We don't have that to offer in quite the same way anymore. Think about it. And, you know, even this idea that, you know, anybody can go anywhere, do anything, uh, that's not really the case right now, right? It's become a strange world. Then we have the the whole uh, demographic shift of an aging population, which is also the problem for uh, Russia as well as China. And I wonder sometimes there's not all these old retirees in all three countries that are the ones stirring up all this trouble. Turn things over to the young people for a while and get a fresh outlook. Maybe we could start laughing about things uh, a little while. Uh, laughing at things again, I should say. But uh, as far as the, you know, the diversity, you know, I, I don't know that you know the, the the way immigration was done at any point. You know how much it uh, de- attracted you know different uh, demographics. Let's just call it that terms of the society's capabilities, right? I'll, I'll use this since I'm part Italian. Italian immigrants coming here. You know, was there like a um, selection process? We only took the good Italians. I don't know how well that worked out, if that's the case. But they were hardworking. And I think that that was kind of part of it, that you had to, you just got, it was a survival of the fittest. You know, it was pretty cutthroat. There wasn't much of a buffer. The church, you had the church to fall back on. And the goodness of people, you got in trouble, and that was it, really. I'd like to say that that was the hands and feet of God. You know, you don't see that anymore either, as the whole institution has kind of crumbled. But I don't know. You know, it'll be I don't know if we'll see it in our lifetimes. How the, my prediction is that, uh, and, and I really don't know. I'm not one to make predictions, but my prediction is kind of more of what we've seen, just in the same direction. Just, more and more threats of war, more and more unrest, uh, nationally, locally, internationally, the whole bit. Continued uh, misinformation. Uh, I don't know. If some point it'll just snap. I guess a nuclear war would be one example of that that's being talked about plenty. Here's a story for you. The Kremlin uh, responds. To, let me, I wanted to share this with you. Kremlin responds to U.S. troop deployment on the Ukrainian border. What justification do we have? I think people say, well, don't we have troops in Ukraine? I believe we did. I, I believe we probably had, quote, military advisors. You're going to tell me absolutely not? 
I'm guessing that there are. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. But why would we want to move troops? U.S. troop deployment in Romania. United States Army's 101st Airborne, about 4,700 soldiers sent to Europe. While in Romania, the division, which has been nicknamed uh, Screaming Eagles, is holding live fire, ground, and air assault exercises with their NATO counterparts. According to its commanders, the division is the closest U.S. unit to the fighting in Ukraine and is actively monitoring the Russian military while organizing drills to replicate exactly what's going on there. This is a real threat to Russia, wouldn't you say? I want to get down to the um, comments. This is from uh, RT.com. So this is Russian comments. 4,500 troops are really not a big force for war. Very true. Patience is important now. Uh, The longer they are there, the more it will cost the U.S. And eventually the U.S. politicians will have to explain to their electorate why they want to waste money on a senseless exercise instead of helping them in hard economic times. Well, they'll just lie to us. I hope they all sleep together. Russia will show uh, its will soon enough, and a point will be made that that will will be taken seriously by the West and so far and no further or else. USA seems to be ready to go at, go it alone, even as NATO refuses to fight. The Pentagon cannot win a war many thousands of miles away against a first world military. Um, uh, but they have no brakes on their train but an unquenchable thirst for Russian blood. The continuation of an ethnic war by powerful Jewish oligarchal against Russia and Russian Christians. Have you heard this? This is from the comments here on this. You should check it out. These are, now who knows, it could be bots, it could be anything, I don't know. Probably CIA for all I know, but at least, you know, theoretically it's Russian news with Russian comments. Fastest way to lose support for members of the U.S. military that's how they lost Vietnam and Iraq. The service members sabotaged their own units. The Americans will will die just like the Nazis they are supporting. Bullets don't discriminate, neither do Russian shoulders, soldiers. Western troops don't hide behind uniforms and flags like cowards. You knew full well who you were fighting for and who you were standing shoulder to. This is just fascinating. You got to... The, the Russian people... Um, some of them are a little fired up. I don't know. It seems to be escalating. This is not my area of expertise. If you know the story, you know, I said there's no way Putin's going to invade. This is a big sham. I mean, I, I, you can't believe anything Biden says. He's, you know, for, he, 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 to his credit, he did tell us, I told you, oh, I'm going to invade. I'm sorry I didn't take that seriously. <laughs> I'm starting to take Biden howling at me seriously. So Putin did invade. Here we are. Now you say, I don't think there's going to be a nuclear war. I don't know. I don't know. I know this. I don't think it's good. I really don't. So then I'll throw this in there, too, just to be fair and balanced. Remember when Fox News used to say that? Fox News, fair and balanced and uh, what's his name? The No Spin Zone. Bill O'Reilly. He's still around. He's another one with the paid podcast. 
And with your subscription, you'll also receive <laughs> the Big Chris pen. <laughs> Maybe I should act now and not just one pen, but two. <laughs> um, I'll stop. Uh, what was I talking about? Uh, what happened to the video here? Uh, we moved it. That's what it is. Um, okay, here we go. Back to being serious. Talking about Ukraine. Uh, I had been saying all along, has anybody have any, has seen any photographic evidence of any actual killing? And 60 Minutes did a piece here. I have the link in the show notes if you want to check it out. A bit gruesome, to say the least. Body bags lined up. Now, you know, some people would say it's uh, staged, it's fake, it's Hollywood. Um there was a couple of photos I really questioned. Uh, there was people presumably dead, and there was no blood. And I thought, that's very interesting. Uh, but then there was some uh, with blood, and pretty clearly uh, some, some destruction going on there. Now, here's the other thing, though, about this. You don't know. This Russia is being blamed for this carnage. But Russia is saying that, and there's a lot of credibility to this. Not, definitely not complete credibility, just to be clear. But there is certainly some evidence to suggest that the Ukrainians shot up some of these civilians uh, as a way to, to cause problems for the Russians or draw the Russians in, whatever you might want to say about that. Nobody's ever going to look into that because, you know, Ukraine is holier than thou and we stand with Ukraine. You know how it goes. So I want to talk about this story a little bit. Did you hear about uh, DeSantis? Rounding up voters in Florida uh, who who voted illegally and arresting them. So there's a link here. You can check it out from the Miami Herald. And this um, uh, poor black man uh, who was a convicted felon uh, was told, I think he said, by the DMV. I have it in the show notes. You can check out the exact story and hear it from him firsthand. And he claims that um, he went to the DMV and they said, hey, they encouraged them to vote, and he said he didn't think he was supposed to, and they told him just to send it in anyway, and so he did, and he voted. And um, I don't believe any of that. I really don't. Maybe one in a million story, but there's no way that a convicted felon is going to make a priority out of voting, right? It just doesn't add up or put themselves in jeopardy. They're like, no, nah, I don't want to. <laughs> there's no way I'm messing with any of this, right? Uh, I'm guessing there was some payment or some incentive. That's pure speculation on my part. But even even if you don't believe any of that or you, you just want to go straight at it, okay, and you say, listen, this guy voted illegally. All right, what does this mean? It means that the workers at the DMV in Florida, a Republican state, were encouraging people to incorrectly register to vote. F- forget about the drama. Forget about the conspiracy theories. Let's just say they made an honest mistake. The fact of the matter is you had this effort, and it was an effort that it produced results that weren't in compliance with the law. And now you got people that are going to suffer the consequences of that. I would say to you that it was really part of a much broader effort. You know, Democrats were willing to do whatever it took to get Trump out. We talked about it for months Right? The ends justified the means. Whatever it takes, we got to get them out. I don't care what it takes. Just got to go. Uh-uh, no more. No. Not my president. Can't, no. No, I don't want to talk about it. 
I don't, it doesn't matter who it is. I don't Joe Biden, Obama for a fifth term. No, it doesn't matter. As long as not, I don't care. As long as not Trump. Just got, Trump's got to go. Whatever it takes. I'll sign one ballot. I'll sign a minute. Whatever they, they were saying, whatever they needed to do. Biden got up there and he said, we're, we're going to count every vote. We're not going to check every dotted I and cross T. That set it up for the mail-in ballots. Well, the president said, and he was pulling at people's, being a scorpion. Certainly not every convicted felon shouldn't be able to vote. You don't really feel that way, do you, Mr. Frog? Come on. Just one convicted felon? Certainly not enough to change the outcome of the election. It's only fair. He did the time. Should be able to do the vote. Right, Mr. Frog? He's scorpion. It all added up. Record number of votes to a guy you can't even understand. Isn't that amazing? Really phenomenal. You ask yourself, well, why can't convicted felons vote? You just show a picture of Joe Biden because of this. It's like Elmer Fudd up there. We'd be better off with Elmer Fudd. Does anybody remember Elmer Fudd? T- <laughs> Was it the Looney Tunes cartoons? You know, my daughter said to me the other day, she said, uh, Dad, did you ever watch Scooby-Doo? I was like, come on. Who didn't watch Scooby-Doo? We actually watched the little Scooby-Doo. Oh, you know the other thing she's doing, by the way? I meant to tell you this. Seven years old. She fake laughs at me. Like if I say something, she's like, huh just don't do that to me. She put her hand up to me the other day to tell me to be quiet. I'm like, what is this coming from? Bossy, to say the least. I don't know. Where was I at? Looney Tunes. That's right. <laughs> Elmer Fudd. Um, that wasn't Elmer Fudd, but my my best impression of it. What are you going to do? U.S. fought uh, to keep veterans' jobs with the foreign government secret. This is an amazing story out of the Washington Post talking about uh, military officers taking jobs with foreign governments. Uh, The incestual relationships that were taking place, you know, I talked about the book Call Sign Chaos by General Mattis, and he talked about the global war on terror. And uh, it was a global war of terror is what it really was. But it was a huge opportunity for the United States military. all you know, after September 11th, the U.S. military was given a blank check. This is the fact of the matter, right? It was that fear. George Bush and the and and the uh, the, the military industrial complex partners built this huge machine. You know, the money that was just thrown down the drain in Iraq, the stuff that we built over there. Schools in Afghanistan. Our schools are falling apart here. We're building schools in, in Afghanistan and Iraq. We don't, we don't have decent schools in many places here. Imagine that. Providing all this infrastructure and assistance and all just seems to have been pretty much, like I said, flushed down the toilet. Uh, but they, they, not only were they creating this giant industry, uh, but that then bled over into media. You still see that, right? Whether it's General Petraeus, did I see him? Was that General Petraeus? I think it was. Isn't he the one that got uh, thrown out for uh, the affair or something like that? CNN will have him on, though. I'm pretty sure it was. General Petraeus, I'm pretty sure. And uh, 
you know, they get the whole thing gets politicized. But anyway, then they get media jobs and they're getting jobs with other governments and flipping back and forth and coming back into the government and you know, way out of control. There was just such a need. There were so many programs because there was so much money being dumped in. Get out of the, the Army as an officer and go teach in Iraq for four years and, you know, make a whatever. And I'm just using that by way of example. It's crazy what was going on. And some of it, you know, even more suspect. Uh, soaring dollar spreads pain worldwide. I don't really understand this, you know. I talk about the the economy, the fiat money, and let me just share this with you. The cost of living in Cairo has soared so much that that security guard uh, Mustaf had to send his wife and year-old daughter to live with his parents in a village 70 miles south of the Egyptian, Egyptian capital to save money. Gamal stayed behind working two jobs, sharing an apartment with other young people and eliminating meat from his diet. The prices of everything have doubled, he said. Same as here. Strong dollar makes a bad situation worse in the rest of the world, uh, says a professor of trade policy at Cornell University. Many economists worry that the sharp rise of dollar is increasing the likelihood of a global recession sometime next year. The dollar is up 18% this year, and last month hit a 20-year high. Um, the reasons for the dollar's rise are no mystery. The combat, to combat soaring U.S. inflation, the Federal Reserve has raised its benchmark short-term interest rates. Uh, interesting. So anyway, I don't know. It doesn't really seem to go in here. Rich countries aren't immune. I guess you could go through it and explain to me exactly how. Uh, we're hurting people in Egypt with the inflation here. It seems to be hurting us a lot for the most part. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens. This winter, I think, is going to be very telling uh, in terms of what, what we're headed for. If Basically, oil's doubled. I mean, even if things are stable at this point, I, I look at the, the coming uh, economic impact on us with our oil heat here, and it's going to be significant going to be a significant hit. Uh, if the prices, you know, were to double again on top of that, I'm not really seeing that, but I suppose anything's possible. Or, you know, running the risk that you can't get it for whatever reason, including for COVID. You know, this has been a pretty nasty virus. Uh, and I don't know if it's coming from the lab or they keep mutating or, you know, whatever the deal is, or I just got the unlucky draw this time around. Who knows? But, uh, I don't know. I mean, who's to say that there couldn't be some kind of a, a shutdown or a problem? Do you think people would even believe it, even if it was real? I don't think I would. If they were like another co- – that's a big – we gain nothing with that. No lessons learned, no improvements to that whole system. Hey, this is an interesting story. Saudi Arabia sentences a U.S. citizen to 16 years in prison for stuff that he tweeted. 72-year-old U.S. citizen, 16 years in prison for tweets that he posted while inside the United States, some of which were critical of the Saudi regime. His son, speaking publicly for the first time, alleges that the Saudi government has tortured his father in prison and says that the State Department mishandled the case. Uh, What did he do? He flew back there um, 
charged with char- harboring a terrorist ideology. And it was interesting. I think what he posted was, like, really benign, too. And so when you hear about this worldwide censorship and, and control of the Internet, um, 72-year-old guy going to prison for 16 years for tweets. For tweets. Anywhere. It's crazy to me. For tw- you know, he's 72 years old. There were tweets that he sent years ago. Who knows if he even knew that he had a problem. He just happens to go back over there. And they do a search and they keep track of these things. Unbelievable when you think about it. Uh, it's just, um, I suppose that that's what it's been like. You, know, you can take photographs over there. They're very, very uh, elusive, whatever you want to call it. Very different in the way they approach things. 16 years for tweets. Maybe even, uh, you know, beaten and uh, like his son said, who knows? Wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Dan Crenshaw uh, campaign and Adam Kinzinger's PAC have paid Dan's wife, wife's consulting firm nearly $1 million over the last couple of years. That money is ending up in Dan Crenshaw's personal bank account. Is he giving Kinzinger kickbacks as well? This needs to be investigated. Uh, I brought this up because uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day, and he brought this issue of Dan Crenshaw up, and he said some people were calling him a rhino, and he thought that that was misplaced. And I said, I think there's some real questions about Dan's ties to certain donors you know, within the World Economic Forum. I don't really know the details of that, but... Um, I've seen some of it in the past. I don't really have a chance to get, you know, kind of get a grasp on it. I don't really care that much. And then this comes up. And this is what goes on. You know, Dan, they're selling Dan Crenshaw T-shirts, all right? Like he's like George Washington. I have one that a buddy gave me. All right, so Dan Crenshaw's making money. Some of it, you know, maybe just straight up business like T-shirt stuff. And there's really no saying that he can't do that. Uh, matter of fact, I've mentioned this before. Me personally, if I was going to run a campaign organization, I think I would just forego the, the tax uh, goofiness and just report it a straight for profit business and pay the taxes. I think you'd be better off. I really do. Ultimately, short term and long term, less complicated, easier to follow, less chance of getting in trouble. Downside, paying more in taxes, I guess. In this case, uh, now the allegations about Dan, Dan's wife getting the money. And this is what happens. So, you know, you, you, get, you contribute to the Big Chris campaign, and um, I can even take it, I believe. I don't know if I'm right about that. I believe I can pay myself. No, you can't. I don't think you can. You cannot. But you can pay your wife. You can pay your brother. It's all legitimate. What, if, what are you to say it's not? I'm going to hire my brother for security. You know, you can say, well, he's never with you. What's internet security? He's providing consulting. He provides me ideas to keep me secure. Who are you to judge? I pay my wife to be my campaign. What are you saying? She doesn't work? She's constantly working on the campaign. So anyway, a million dollars? This says over the last couple of years. Dan Crenshaw, he's rose to stardom. He's probably got, you know, big overhead costs. I don't know. It's just really fascinating, though, that the money seems to flow to them and not to us. Every year, every election cycle. 
And we'll see. I mean, it looks like the, the Republicans are really teed up to to uh, make some headway. This Pennsylvania race, I think, could swing for Oz. That would be huge. The, you know, the Republicans take the Senate. Then what? Then what do they do? They're not going to have uh, enough to beat the filibuster. Then all of a sudden, the Democrats are going to be all about the filibuster. See, it's a good thing we didn't give up the filibuster. We'd be in big trouble right now. Republicans would be ruining the world. Hopefully Republicans could make some headway in in passing some common sense laws to stop some of this lunacy, especially in our schools and with the lockdowns and all this craziness that went on. Anyway, a couple things here. Um, What's this story? Oh, top House Democrats continue paying family members thousands of dollars using campaign funds. Here's another story about this use of campaign funds. You can check it out if you want. It's the norm. This is what they do. I mean, you have to think, look, put it this way. Uh, you, you can't make money in politics if you're honest, and there's a ton of money in politics. So you you do the math on that. Pretty much tells you where we're at in that process. Uh, what's next for Alex Jones? He doesn't have a billion dollars. Did you see they've filed, like, a new lawsuit of, like, they want, like, a trillion or something like that or two trillion like it's, the whole thing's just gotten absurd at this point. Like, what is the point of all this? That these lawyers can, you know, put these headlines or something like that? I don't know. Alex Jones, for his part, I have to believe, has well positioned himself to deal with all this. Uh, he still has his voice, which is his asset. I don't, you know, think that they can, um, you know, he, he has every right to... Uh, to file for bankruptcy. There's going to be issues with his uh, copyrighted works. Those all have value. They could, in effect, take, um, what's it called there, his, his thing, I forget off the top of my head, the Alex Jones website, Infowars, Infowars.com. They could take that. The judge can take that. May very well do it, by the way. Put that whole thing in receivership and just take the whole thing. Um, will they? I would say Likely. I would likely think you would see the the dissolution of that, which was really probably the goal to begin with, just to hammer it out of existence. And what that would mean for Alex Jones is he would have to start all over again, all over again. If he's smart, um, he's you know thought about this and planned ahead and and has good lawyers working on it. I feel like he kind of played this game in a way to get this outcome, kind of like Steve Bannon. You know, Steve Bannon, you know, this whole jail sentence, which isn't done. He's appealing it, and it'll be interesting to see how all that works out. Maybe he'll overturn it on appeal and it'll just be, but I don't think so. I think they're pretty serious about these subpoenas being complied with and why he didn't just comply and plead the fifth or say, I don't recall, I don't have anything to say or or whatever. Um, He could have done that, but instead he he chose a different path. Why? Seemingly to make himself a martyr, kind of like Alex Jones. I don't know. Sometimes I think these guys are addicted to the the, the pump and the the feeling of importance and the notoriety. You know what I mean? They just they they'll do any. They're like the the uh, what are those um, Dumb and Dumber? You know what I mean? They're doing the craziest things. And you look at a guy like uh, Steve Bannon or an Alex Jones, and you think, is that guy capable of doing that? It's kind of how they made their careers, just by. You know, constantly being in front of people like that. Anyway, God willing, I hope to be back Sunday. Hope to see you there. Make it a great weekend.